Upper Audio presents Thud by Terry Pratchett, performed by Stephen Briggs. There was an old military saying that Fred Colon used to describe total bewilderment and confusion. An individual in that state, according to Fred, couldn't tell if it was arsehole or breakfast time. This had always puzzled Vimes. He wondered what research had been done. Even now, with his mouth tasting of warmed over yesterday and everything curiously sharp in his vision, he thought he'd be able to tell the difference. Only one was likely to include a cup of coffee for a start. He had one now. Ergo, it was breakfast time. Actually, it was near lunchtime, but it would have to do. The troll, known to everyone else and occasionally to himself as Brick, was seated in one of the big troll cells, but in deference to the fact that no one could decide if he was a prisoner or not, the door had been left unlocked. The understanding was that, provided he didn't try to leave, no one would stop him leaving. Brick was engulfing his third bowl of mineral-rich mud that, to a troll, was nourishing soup. "'What is scrape?' Vimes said, leaning back in the room's one spare chair and staring at Brick as a zoologist might eye a fascinating but highly unpredictable new species. He'd put the stone ball from the mysterious Mr. Shine on the table by the bowl to see if it got any reaction, but the troll paid it no attention. "'Scrape?' You don't see it much these days now that slab's so damn cheap, rumbled Detritus, who was watching his new find with a proprietorial air, like a mother hen watching a chick who was about to leave the nest. It what you scrape up, see? It few bits of drain-grade slab boiled up in a tin with alcohol and pigeon droppings. It what the street trolls make when they is short of cash and, uh, What is it they short of brick? The moving spoon paused. "'That day is short of self-respect, Sergeant,' he said, as one might who'd had the lesson shouted into his ear for twenty minutes. "'By I owe he got it,' said Detritus, slapping the skinny brick on the back so hard that the young troll dropped his spoon into the steaming gloop. "'But this lad has promised me all that is behind him, and he is damn straight now on account of having joined my one-step programme. Ain't that so, Brick? No more slab?' Scrape, slice, slide, slunky, slurp, or sliver for this boy, right? Yes, Sergeant, said Brick obediently. Sergeant, why do the names of all troll drugs start with S? said Vimes. Ah, it make them easier to remember, sir, said Detritus, nodding sagely. Ah, of course, I hadn't spotted that, said Vimes. Has Sergeant Detritus explained to you why he calls it a one-step programme, Brick? Uh, "'Cause he won't let me put a foot wrong, sir,' said Brick, as if reading it off a card. "'And Brick here's got something else to say to you, haven't you, Brick?' said the maternal detritus. "'Go on, tell Mr. Vimes.' Brick looked down at the table. "'Sorry I tried to kill you, Mrs. Vimes,' he whispered. "'Well, we'll see about that, shall we?' said Vimes, for something better to say. "'By the way, I think you meant Mr. Vimes.' and I prefer it if only the people who fought alongside me call me Mr. Vimes. Well, technically, Brick has fought, Detritus began, but Vimes put down his coffee mug firmly. His ribs were aching. No, in front of is not the same thing as alongside, Sergeant, he said. It really isn't. Not really his fault, sir. It was more a case of mistaken identity, Detritus protested. You mean he didn't know who I was, said Vimes. That didn't seem to... No, sir. He didn't know who he was, sir. He thought he was a bunch of lights and fireworks. Trust me, sir. I reckon I can make something of this one, please. Sir, he was out of his brain on Big Hammer, and still he was walking about. Vimes stared at Detritus a moment, and then looked back at Brick. Mr. Brick, tell me how you got into the mine, will you? He said. I told the other policeman, Brick began. Now you tell Mr. Vimes, growled Detritus, right now. It took a little while, with pauses for bits of Brick's mind to shunt into position, but Vimes assembled it like this. The wretched Brick had been cooking up scrape with some fellow gutter trolls in an old warehouse in the maze of streets behind Park Lane, had blundered down into the cellar looking for a cool place to watch the display, and the floor had given way under him. By the sound of it, he'd fallen a long way, but to judge by the troll's natural state, he probably floated down like a butterfly. He'd ended up in a tunnel, like a mine, you know, with all wood holding a roof up, 
and had wandered along it in the hope that it led back to the surface or something to eat. He didn't start to worry until he came out into a far grander tunnel, and the words dwarfs finally reached a bit of his brain with nothing to do but listen. A troll in a dwarf mine goes on the rampage. It was one of those givens like a bull in a china shop, but Brick seemed refreshingly free of hatred toward anyone, provided the world supplied enough things beginning with S to make his head go bzzz, and the city had no shortage of these, he didn't much care about what else it did. Brick, down in the gutter, had even dropped below that horizon. No wonder Chrysophrase's shakedown hadn't corralled him. Brick was something you stepped over. It might even have occurred to Brick, standing there in the dark with the sound of dwarf voices in the distance, to be afraid. And then he'd seen, through a big round doorway, one dwarf hold up another and hit it over the head. It was cave-gloomy, but trolls had good night vision, and there were always the worms. The troll hadn't made out details and was not particularly interested in seeing any. Who cared what dwarfs did to one another? So long as they didn't do it to him, he didn't see a problem. But when the dwarf that had done the bashing started to shout, then there was a problem large as life. A big metal door right by him had slammed open and hit him in the face. When he peered out from behind it, it was to see several armed dwarfs running past. They weren't interested in what might be behind the door, not yet. They were doing what people do, which is to run toward the source of the shouting. Brick, on the other hand, was only interested in getting as far away from the shouting as possible, and right here there was an open door. He took it and ran, not stopping until he was out in the fresh night air. There had been no pursuit. Vimes wasn't surprised. You needed a special kind of mind to be a guard. It was one that was prepared to be in a body that stood and looked at nothing very much for hours on end. Such a mind did not command high wages. Such a mind, too, would not be likely to start a search by looking in the tunnel it just arrived by. It would not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. And so, aimlessly, without intent, malice, or even curiosity, a wandering troll had wandered into a dwarf mine, spotted a murder through a drug-addled perception, and wandered out again. Who could plan for anything like that? Where was the logic? Where was the sense? Vimes looked at the watery, fried-egg eyes, the emaciated frame, the thin dribble of God's new watch from a crusted nostril. Brick wasn't telling lies. Brick had enough trouble dealing with things that weren't made up. "'Tell Mr. Vimes about the big wuck-wuck,' Detritus prompted. "'Oh, yeah,' said Brick. "'There was this big wuck-wuck in the cave.' "'I think I'm missing a vital point here,' said Vimes. "'A wuck-wuck is what you make with charcoal and nitre and slab.' said the sergeant, all rolled up in paper, like a cigar, you know. He said it was, We called them wuck-wucks, cos they looked like, you know, a wuck-wuck, said Brick, with an embarrassed grin. Yes, I'm getting the picture, said Vimes wearily. And did you try to smoke it? No, sir, it was big, said Brick, all rolled up in their cave, just by the manky old tunnel I fell into. Vimes tried to fit this into his thinking, and left it out for now. So, a dwarf did it, right. And right now he believed Brick, although a bucket of frogs would make a better witness. No sense in pushing him further right now, anyway. OK, he said. He reached down and came up with the mysterious stone that had been left on the floor of the office. It was about eight inches across, but curiously light. Tell me about Mr. Shine, Brick. Friend of yours? Mr. Shine is everywhere, said Brick fervently. Him diamond. Well, Half an hour ago he was in this building, said Vimes. Detritus? Sir, said the sergeant, a guilty look spreading across his face. What do you know about Mr. Shine, said Vimes. Er, uh, he a bit like a troll god, Detritus muttered. Don't get many gods in here as a rule, said Vimes. Someone's pinched the secret of fire. Have you seen my golden apple? It's amazing how often we don't get that sort of thing in the crime book. He's a troll, is he? "'Kinda like, uh, a king,' said Detritus, as if every word was being dragged from him. "'I thought trolls didn't have kings these days,' said Vimes. "'I thought every clan ruled itself.' "'Right, right,' said Detritus. "'Look, Mr. Vimes, he Mr. Shine, OK? We don't talk about him much.' The troll's expression was a mixture of misery and defiance. Vimes decided to go for a weaker target. "'Where did you find him, Brick? I just want to—' "'He came calling to help you,' snarled Detritus. 
What are you doing, Mr. Vimes? Why you go on asking questions? With the dwarfs who have pussy feet must not upset them. Oh, no. But what you do if they was trolls, eh? Kick down the door, no problem. Mr. Shine bring you brick, give you good advice, and you talk like he being a bad troll. I'm hearing now where Captain Carrot, he telling the dwarfs, he's the two brothers. Do you think that make me happy? We know that lying old dwarf lie, yeah? We groan at it lying, yeah? You want to see Mr. Shine? You show humble. You show respect, yeah? This is Coombe Valley again, thought Vimes. He'd never seen Detritus this angry, at least at him. The troll was just there, reliable and dependable. At Coombe Valley, two tribes had met and no one blinked. I apologise, he said, blinking. I didn't know. No offence was meant. Right, said Detritus, his huge hand thumping on the table. The spoon jumped out of Brick's empty soup bowl. The mysterious rock ball rolled across the table with an inevitable little trundling noise and cracked open on the floor. Vimes looked down at two neat halves. It's full of crystals, he said. Then he looked closer. There was a piece of paper in one broken, glittering hemisphere. He picked it up and read, Pointer and Pickles, Crystals, Minerals and Tumbling Supplies, Number 3, 10th Egg Street, Ankh Morpork. Vimes put this down carefully and picked up the two pieces of the stone. He pushed them together, and they fitted with the merest hairline crack. There was no sign that any glue had ever been used. He looked up at Detritus. Did you know that was going to happen? he said. No, said the troll, but I think Mr. Shine did. He's given me his address, Sergeant. Yeah, so maybe he want you to visit, Detritus conceded. That is an honour, all right. You don't find Mr. Shine, Mr. Shine find you. How did he find you, Mr. Brick? said Vimes. Brick gave Detritus a panicky look. The sergeant shrugged. He picked me up one day, give me food, Brick mumbled. He showed me where to come for more. He told me to keep off with the stuff, too, but... Yes, Vimes prompted. Brick waved a pair of scarred, knobbly arms in a gesture that said, far more coherently than he could, that there was the whole universe on one side and Brick on the other, and what could anyone do against odds like that? And so he'd been handed over to Detritus, Vimes thought. That evened the odds somewhat. He stood up and nodded to Detritus. Should I take anything, Sergeant? The troll thought about this. No, he said, but maybe there's some thinking you could leave behind. I should be in charge of the mine raid, thought Vimes. We might be starting a war, after all, so I'm sure people would like to think that someone high up was there when it happened. So why do I think it's more important that I see the mysterious Mr. Shine? Captain Carrot had been busy. The city dwarfs liked him. So he'd done what Vimes could not have done, or at least have done well, which was to take a muddy dwarf necklace to a dwarf home down in New Cobblers and explain to two dwarf parents how it had been found. Things had happened quite fast after that, and one other reason for the speed was that the mine was shut. Guards and workers and dwarfs seating guidance on the path of dwarfdom had turned up to be met with locked doors. Money was owing, and dwarfs got very definite about things like that. A lot of the huge body of dwarf law was about contracts. You were supposed to get paid. No more politics, Vimes told himself. Someone killed four of our dwarfs not some crazy rabble-rouser, and left them down there in the dark. I don't care who they are, they're going to be dragged into the light. It's the law. All the way to the bottom, all the way to the top. But it's going to be done by dwarfs. Dwarfs will go to that well and dig out that mud again and bring up the proof. He walked into the main office. Carrot was there along with half a dozen dwarf officers. They looked grim. All set, said Vimes. Yes, sir. We'll meet the others at Empirical Crescent. You've got enough diggers. All dwarfs are diggers, sir, said Carrot solemnly. There's timber on the way and winching gear too. Some of the miners joining us helped dig that tunnel, sir. They knew those lads. They're a bit bewildered and angry. I'll bet. They believe us then, do they? said Vimes. Er, uh, more or less, sir. If the bodies aren't there, though, we're going to have some explaining to do. Very true. Didn't your lads know what they were digging for? No, sir. They just got orders from the Dark Dwarfs, and different squads dug in different directions. A long way in different directions. As far as Money Trap Lane and Etacap Street, they think. 
That's a big slice of the city. Yes, sir. But there was something odd. Do go on, Captain, said Vimes. We're good at odd. Every so often, everyone had to stop work, and the foreign dwarfs listened at the walls with a big, uh, thing like an ear trumpet. Sally found something like that when she was down there. They were listening, in soggy mud. Listening for what? Singing worms? The dwarfs don't know, sir. Trapped miners, they thought. I suppose it makes sense. A lot of the digging is through old stonework, so I suppose it's possible that other miners could be trapped somewhere that's got air. Not to last for weeks, though, surely. And why dig in different directions? It's a puzzle, sir, there's no doubt about it. But we'll get to the bottom of it soon enough. Everyone's very keen. Good. But play down the watch side, will you? This is a bunch of concerned citizens trying to find their loved ones after a reported mining disaster, OK? The watchmen are just helping them out. You mean, remember I'm a dwarf, sir? Thank you for that, Carrot. Yes, exactly, said Vimes. And now I'm off to see a legend with a name like a can of polish. As he went out, he noticed the summoning dark symbol. The Pussycat Club drinks menu had been put with some care on a shelf by the window where it got maximum light. It glowed. Maybe this was because Frosted Hot Lips Rose had been designed to be seen across a crowded bar in poor light, but it seemed to float above the oh-so-funny sticky cocktail names like Just Sex, Pussy Galore and No Brainer, making them look faded and unreal. Someone, several ones by the look of it, had lit candles in front of it for when night came. It mustn't be kept in the dark, Vimes thought. <laughs> I wish I wasn't. Pointer and Pickles was dusty. Dust was the key note of the shop. Vimes must have passed it a thousand times. It was that kind of shop, the kind you walked past. Dust and dead flies filled the little window, which nevertheless offered dim views of large lumps of rock covered with dust beyond. The bell over the door gave a dusty jangle as Vimes entered the gloomy interior. The noise died away, and there was a definite feeling that this marked the end of the entertainment for today. Then a distant shuffling was born in the heavy silence. It turned out to belong to a very old woman who appeared at first sight to be as dusty as the rocks she presumably sold. Vimes had his doubt even about that. Shops like this one often looked upon the selling of merchandise as, in some way, a betrayal of a sacred trust, as if to underline this she was carrying a club with a nail in it. When she was close enough for conversation, Vimes said, "'I've come here to—' "'Do you believe in the healing power of crystals, young man?' snapped the woman, raising the club threateningly. "'What? What healing power?' said Vimes. The old woman gave him a cracked smile and dropped the club. "'Good,' she said. "'We like our customers to take their geology seriously. "'We've got some cholite in this week.' "'Er, uh, good, but in fact, I... "'It's the only mineral that travels backwards in time, you know.' "'I'm here to see Mr Shine,' Vimes managed. "'Mr Roo,' said the old woman putting a hand to her ear. "'Mr. Shine,' said Vimes, confidence already draining out of him. "'Never heard of him, dear.' "'He, uh, gave me this,' said Vimes, showing her the two pieces of geode. "'Amethyst crystals, very nice specimen. I'll give you seven dollars,' said the old woman. "'Are you, uh, Pickles or Pointer?' said Vimes, as a last resort. "'I'm Miss Pickles, dear. Miss Point—' She stopped. Her expression changed— became slightly younger and considerably more alert. "'And I'm Miss Pointer, dear,' she said. "'Don't worry about Pickles. She just runs the body when I've got other things to do. Are you Commander Vimes?' Vimes stared. "'Are you telling me you're two people, with one body?' "'Yes, dear. It's supposed to be an illness, but all I can say is we've always got along well. I've never told her about Mr Shine. Can't be too careful. Come this way, do.' She led the way through the dusty crystals and slabs into the back of the shop where there was a wide corridor lined with shelves. Crystals of all sizes sparkled down at him. Of course, trolls have always been of interest to geologists, being made of metamorphorical rock, said Miss Pointer, Miss Pickles, conversationally. You're not a rock-hound yourself, Commander. I've had the occasional stone thrown at me, said Vimes. I've never bothered to check what kind it was. Ha! Such a shame we're on loam here, said the woman, as the sound of quiet voices drew nearer. She opened a door and stood aside. I rent them the room, she said. Do go in. Vimes looked at the top few treads of a flight of stairs heading down. Oh, goody, he thought. We're going underground again.
but there was a warm light coming up, and the voices were louder. The cellar was large and cool. There were tables everywhere, with a couple of people at each one bent over a checkered board. A games room. The players were dwarfs, trolls, and humans, but what they had in common was concentration. Unconcerned faces glanced towards Vimes, who had paused halfway down the stairs, and then looked back to the game at hand. Vimes continued down to floor level. This had to be important, right? Mr. Shine had wanted him to see it. People. Men, trolls, dwarfs, playing games. Occasionally, a couple of players would look up at one another, share a glance, and shake hands. Then one of them would go off to a new table. "'What do you notice, Mr. Vimes?' said a deep voice behind him. Vimes forced himself to turn slowly. The figure sitting in the shadows beside the stairway was shrouded entirely in black. He looked a good head taller than Vimes. "'They're all young,' he ventured, and added. "'Mr. Shine?' "'Exactly.' More youngsters tend to come along in the evenings, too. Do take a seat, sir. Why have I come to see you, Mr. Shine? said Vimes, sitting down. Because you want to find out why you have come to see me, said the dark figure. Because you're wandering in the dark. Because, Mr. Vimes, with his badge and his truncheon, is full of rage. More full than usual. Take care of that rage, Mr. Vimes. Mystic, thought Vimes. I like to see whom I'm talking to, he said. What are you? You would not see me if I removed this hood, said Mr. Shine. As for what I am, I'll ask you this. Would it be true to say that Captain Carrot, while very happy to be a watch officer, is the rightful king of Ankh-Morpork? I have trouble with the term rightful, said Vimes. So I understand. It may well be that this is one reason why he hasn't yet chosen to declare himself, said Mr. Shine. But no matter. Well, I am the rightful, excuse me, and indisputable king of the trolls. Really, said Vimes. It wasn't much of a reply, but his options at this point were limited. Yeah, and when I say indisputable, I mean what I say, Mr. Vimes. Hidden human kings have to resort to magic swords or legendary feats to reclaim their birthright. I do not. I just have to be. You are aware of the concept of metamorphorical rock? You mean the way trolls look like certain types of rock? Indeed. Schist, mica, shale, and so on. Even brick. Poor young brick. No one knows why this is and I have expended thousands of words in saying so. Oh, to hell with it, you would say. You deserve a glimpse. Protect your eyes. Aye, Mr. Vimes. A black-robed arm was extended, a black velvet glove removed. Vimes shut his eyes in time, but the inside of his lids blazed red. Am diamond, said Mr. Shine. The glare faded a little. Vimes risked opening his eyes a bit, and made out a hand, every flexing finger sparkling like a prism. The players glanced up, but they'd seen this before. "'Frost forms quite quickly,' said Mr. Shine. When Vimes at the peak, the hand glittered like the heart of winter. "'You're hiding out from jewellers,' he managed, taken aback. "'Ha! In fact, this city is indeed a very good place for people who don't wish to be seen, Mr. Vimes. I have friends here, and I have talents.' You'd find me quite hard to see if I wished to be unseen. I am also, frankly, intelligent, and intelligent all the time. I don't need the pork futures warehouse. I can regulate the temperature of my brain by reflecting all heat. Diamond trolls are very rare, and when we do appear, kingship is our destiny. Vimes waited. Mr. Shine, who was now pulling his glove back on, appeared to have an agenda. The wisest thing was to let him talk until it all made sense. "'And do you know what happens when we become kings?' said Mr. Shine, now safely shrouded once more. "'Coombe Valley?' Vimes suggested. "'Well done. The trolls unite, and we have the same tired old war followed by centuries of skirmishing. That is the sad, stupid history of the trolls and the dwarfs. And this time Ankh Morpork will be caught up in it. You know that the troll and dwarf population here has grown enormously under Vetinari. All right, but if you're king, can't you just make peace? Just like that. It'll need much more than that. 
The hood of the robe shook sadly. You really know very little about us, Mr. Vimes. You see us down on a plane shambling around, talking like this. You don't know about the history chant, or the long dance, or stone music. You see the hunched troll dragging his club. That's what the dwarfs did for us long ago. They turned us, in your minds, into sad, brainless monsters. Don't look at me when you say that, said Vimes. Detritus is one of my best officers. There was silence. Then Mr. Shine said, Shall I tell you what I think the dwarfs were looking for, Mr. Vimes? Something of theirs. It is a thing that talks. The dwarfs found it, and I think what it had to say directly caused five deaths. I believe I know how to find the secret of Coombe Valley. In a few weeks, everyone will be able to, but by then I think it will be too late. You must solve it too, before the war sweeps up all of us. How do you know all this? said Vimes. Because I'm magical, said the voice from the hood. Oh, well, if that's the way your— Vimes began. Patience, Commander, said Mr. Shine. I just simplified. Except instead that I am very smart. I have an analytical mind. I've studied the histories and lore of my hereditary enemy. I have friends who are dwarfs. Quite knowledgeable dwarfs. Quite powerful dwarfs, who wish for an end to this stupid feud as much as I do. And I have a love of games and puzzles. The Codex was not a terrible challenge. If it's going to help me find the murderers of those dwarfs in the mine, then you should tell me what you know. Why, trust what I say. I am a troll. I am partisan. I might wish to direct your thoughts down the wrong path. Maybe you have already, said Vimes hotly. He knew he was making a fool of himself. It only made him angrier. Good. That's the spirit, said Mr. Shine. Test all that I've told you. Where would we be if Commander Vimes relied on magic, eh? No. The secret of Coombe Valley must be found by observation and questioning and facts, facts, facts. Possibly I'm helping you find them a little quicker than you might otherwise do. You just have to think about what you know, Commander. And in the meantime, shall we play a little game? Mr. Shine picked up a box by his chair and appended it over the table. This is thud, Mr. Vimes, he said, as little stone figures bounced over the board. Dwarfs versus trolls. Eight trolls and thirty-two dwarfs, forever fighting their little battles on a cardboard Coombe Valley. He began to place the pieces, black-gloved hands moving with untrollish speed. Vimes pushed back his chair. Nice to meet you, Mr. Shine, but all you're giving me is riddles and— Sit down, Commander. The quiet voice had a schoolteacher harmonic to it that folded Vimes's legs under him. Good, said Mr. Shine. Eight trolls, thirty-two dwarfs. Dwarfs always start. A dwarf is small and fast and can run as many squares as possible in any direction. A troll, because we're stupid and drag our clubs, as everyone knows, can only move one square in any direction. There are other types of moving, but what do you see so far? Vimes tried to concentrate. It was hard. This was a game. It wasn't real. Besides, the answer was so obvious that it couldn't be the right one. It looks like the dwarfs must win every time he ventured. Ah, natural suspicion, I like that. In fact, among the best players, the bias is slightly in favour of the trolls, said Mr. Shine. This is largely because a troll can, in the right circumstances, do a lot of damage. How are your ribs, by the way? All the better for your asking, said Vimes sourly. He'd forgotten them for twenty blessed minutes. Now they ached again. Good. I'm glad Brick has found a tritus. He has a good brain if he can be persuaded to stop frying it every half an hour. Back to our game. Advantages to either side do not matter, in fact, because a complete game consists of two battles. In one, you must play the dwarfs. In the other, you must play the trolls. As you may expect, dwarfs find it easy to play the dwarf side, which needs a strategy and mode of attack that comes easy to a dwarf. Something similar applies to the trolls. But to win... 
you must play both sides. You must, in fact, be able to think like your ancient enemy. A really skilled player? Well, take a look, Commander. Look toward the back of the room, where my friend Philite is playing against Nils Mousehammer. Vimes turned. What am I looking for? he said. Whatever you see. Well, that troll over there is wearing what looks like a large dwarf helmet. Yes, one of the dwarf players made it for him, and he speaks quite passable dwarfish. He's drinking out of a horn like the dwarfs do. He had to have one made in metal. Troll beer would melt ordinary horn. Nils can sing quite a lot of the troll history chant. Look at Gabbro over there. Good troll boy, but he knows all there is to know about dwarf battlebred. In fact, I believe that's a boomerang croissant on the table next to him. Purely for ceremonial purposes, of course. Commander? Hm? said Vimes, turning his head. What? A slightly built dwarf at one of the tables was watching him with interest, as though he was some kind of fascinating monster. Mr. Shine chuckled. To study the enemy, you have to get under his skin. When you're under his skin, you start to see the world through his eyes. Gabbro is so good at playing from the dwarf viewpoint that his troll game is suffering, and he wants to go to Copperhead to learn from some of the dwarf thudmeisters there. I hope he does. They'll teach him how to play like a troll. None of these lads here were out getting fighting drunk last night. And thus we wear down mountains. Water dripping on a stone, dissolving and removing, changing the shape of the world one drop at a time. Water dripping on a stone, Commander. Water flowing underground, bubbling up in unexpected places. I think you're going to need a bit more of a gush, said Vimes. I don't think a bunch of people playing games is going to break down a mountain any time soon. It depends on where the drops fall, said Mr. Shine. In time they may wash away a valley at least. You should ask yourself, why was I so keen to get into that mine? Because there'd been a murder. And that was the only reason, said the shrouded Mr. Shine. Of course. And everyone knows what gossips dwarfs are, said Mr. Shine. Well, I'm sure you will do your best, Commander. I hope you find the murderer before the dark catches up with them. Mr. Shine, some of my officers have lit candles around that damn symbol. Good thinking, I'd say. So you really believe that it's some kind of threat? How come you know so much about dwarf signs anyway? I have studied them. I accept the fact of their existence. Some of your officers believe. Most dwarfs do. Somewhere in their gnarly little souls. I respect that. You can take a dwarf out of the dark, but you can't take the dark out of a dwarf. Those symbols are very old. They have real power. Who knows what old evil lurks in the deep darkness under the mountains. There's no darkness like it. You can take the mickey out of a copper, too, said Vimes. Ah, Mr. Vimes, you have had a busy day. So much happening, so little time to think. Take time to reflect on all you know, sir. I am a reflecting kind of person. Commander Vimes, the voice came from Miss Pointer, Miss Pickles, halfway up the stairs. There's a troll asking after you. What a shame, said Mr. Shine. That will be Sergeant Detritus. Not good news, I suspect. If I had to guess, I'd say that the trolls have sent round the tacker tacker. You must go, Mr. Vimes. I'll be seeing you again. I don't think I'll see you, said Vimes. He stood up and then hesitated. One question, right, and no funny answers, if you don't mind, he said. Tell me why you helped Brick. Why should you care about a slushed-out gutter troll? Why should you care about some dead dwarfs? said Mr. Shine. Because someone has to. Exactly. Goodbye, Mr. Vimes. Vimes hurried up the stairs and followed Miss Pointer, Miss Pickles, out into the shop. Detritus was standing among the mineral specimens, looking uncomfortable like a man in a morgue. He says he has to, said Vimes. What debt, sir? Oh, just thinking aloud. What's happening? Detritus shifted uneasily. Sorry, Mr. Vimes, but I was the only one that knew where... He began. Yeah, OK. Is this about the tacker tacker? How did you know about that, sir? I don't. What is the tacker tacker? 
It de famous war club of de trolls, said Detritus. With the image of the peace club of the trolls downstairs still in his mind, Vimes couldn't stop himself. You mean you subscribe and get a different war every month, he said. But that sort of thing was wasted on Detritus. He treated humour as some human aberration that had to be overcome by talking slowly and patiently. No, sir. When the tacker tacker is sent around the clans, it a summoning to war, he said. Oh, damn. Coombe Valley? Yes, sir. And I'm hearing that the low king and the Oberwald dwarfs is already on the way to Coombe Valley, too. The street is full of it. Eh, uh, bingle, 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 said a small and very nervous voice. Vimes pulled out the gooseberry and stared at it. At a time like this... Well, he said. It's twenty-nine minutes past five, insert name here, said the imp nervously. So, on foot, at this time of day, you'll need to leave now to be home at six o'clock, said the imp. The patrician want to see you, and there's claxes arriving and everything, said Detritus insistently. Vimes continued to stare at the imp, which looked embarrassed. I'm going home, he said, and started walking. Dark clouds were rolling in overhead, heralding another summer storm. They found the three dwarfs near the well, sir, said Detritus, lumbering after him. Looks like it was other dwarfs what killed them, sure enough. Captain Carrots put guards on every exit he can find. But they dig, Vimes thought. Who knows where all the tunnels go? And he wants permission to break open the big iron doors in Treacle Street, Detritus went on. They can get at the last dwarf that way. What are the dwarfs saying about it, said Vimes, over his shoulder. The living ones, I mean. A lot of them saw the dead dwarfs brought up, said Detritus. I think most of them would hand him the crowbar. Let's hear it for the mob, Vimes thought. Grab it by its sentimental heart. Besides, the storm is beginning. Why worry about an extra raindrop? OK, he said. Tell him this. I know Otto will be there with his damn picture box, so when that door is wrenched open, it's going to be dwarfs doing it, OK? A picture full of dwarfs. Right, sir. As young Brick... Will he swear a statement? Does he understand about that? I reckon he could, sir. In front of dwarfs? He will if I ask him, sir, said Detritus. That I can promise. Good. And get someone to put out a message on the clacks to every city watch and village constable between here and the mountains. Tell them to look out for a party of dark dwarfs. They've got what they came for, and they're doing a runner, I know it. You want they should try to stop them? the sergeant asked. No. No one should try it. Say they've got weapons that shoot fire. Just let me know where they're headed. I'll tell them that, sir. And I'm going home, Vimes repeated to himself. Everyone wants something from Vimes, even though I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Hell, I'm probably a spoon. Well, I'm going to be Vimes, and Vimes reads Where's My Cow to Young Sam at six o'clock, with the noises done right. He went home at a brisk walk, using all the little shortcuts, his mind sloshing backwards and forwards like thin soup his ribs nudging him occasionally to say yes, they were still here, and twinging. He arrived at the door just as Willikins was opening it. "'I shall tell her ladyship you are back, sir,' he called out as Vimes hurried up the stairs. "'She is mucking out the dragon-pens.' Young Sam was standing up in his cot, watching the door. Vimes's day went soft and pink. The chair was littered with the favoured toys of the hour. A rag ball, a little hoop, a woolly snake with one button eye. Vimes pushed them onto the rug, sat down, and took off his helmet. Then he took off his damp boots. You didn't need to heat a room after Sam Vimes had taken his boots off. On the wall, the nursery clock ticked, and with every tick and tock, a little sheep jumped back and forth over a fence. Sam unfolded the rather chewed, rather soggy book. "'Where's my cow?' he announced, and young Sam chuckled. Rain rattled on the window. Where's my cow? Is that my cow? A thing that talks, he thought, as his mouth and eyes took over the task at hand. I'm going to have to find out about that. Why'd it make dwarfs want to kill one another? It goes bar. It is a sheep. Why did we go into that mine? Because we heard there'd been a murder, that's why. No, that's not my cow. Everyone knows that dwarfs gossip. It was stupid to tell them to keep it from us. That's the deep downers for you. They think they just have to say a thing, and it's true. Where's my cow? Water dripping on a stone. Is that my cow? Where did I see one of those thud boards recently? It goes nay. Oh, yes, Helm Clever. He was very worried, wasn't he? It is a horse. 
He had a board. He said he was a keen player. No, that's not my cow. That was a dwarf under pressure, if ever I saw one. He looked as if he was dying to tell me something. Where's my cow? That look in his eyes. Is that my cow? I was so angry. Don't tell the watch. What did they expect? You'd have thought he would have known. It goes, Rrr. He knew I'd go postal. It is a hippopotamus. He wanted me to be angry. No, that's not my cow. He damn well wanted me to be angry. Vimes snorted and crowed his way through the rest of the zoo, missing out not one bark or squeak, and tucked up his son with a kiss. There was the sound of tinkling glass from downstairs. Oh, someone's dropped a glass, said his front brain. But his back brain, which had steered him safely through these mean streets for more than fifty years, whispered, like hell they did. Purity would be up in her room. Cook had the evening off. Sybil was out feeding the dragons. That left Willikins. Butlers didn't drop things. From below there was a quiet, <clears throat> and then the thud of something hitting meat. And Vimes's sword was on the hook at the other end of the hall, because Sybil didn't like him wearing it in the house. As quietly as possible he sought around for something, anything that could be turned into a weapon. Regrettably, they had, when choosing toys for young Sam, completely neglected the whole area of hard things with sharp edges. Bunnies, chickies, and piggies there were in plenty, but, ah, Vimes spotted something that would do and wrenched it free. Moving soundlessly on thick, overdarned socks, he crept down the stairs. The door to the wine cellar was open. Vimes didn't drink these days, but guests did, and Willikins, in accordance with some butlerian duty to generations only just or as yet unborn, cared for it and bought the occasional promising vintage. Was there the crackle of glass being trodden on? Okay, did the stairs creak? He'd find out. He reached the vaulted damp cellar and stepped carefully out of the light filtering down from the hall. Now he could smell it, a faint reek of black oil. The little bastards! And they could see in the dark, too, right? He reached into his pocket and fumbled for his matches while his heart thudded in his ears. His fingers closed over a match, and he took a deep breath. One hand grasped his wrist, and as he swung madly at the darkness with the hind leg of the rocking horse, this, too, was wrested from him. Instinctively he kicked out, and there was a grunt. His arms were released, and from somewhere near the floor the voice of Willikins, rather strained, said, "'Excuse me, sir. I appear to have walked into your foot.' "'Willikins? What the hell's been happening?' "'Some dwarfish gentleman called why you were upstairs, sir,' said the butler, unfolding slowly. "'Through the cellar wall, in fact. I regret to say that I found it necessary to deal somewhat strictly with them. I fear one might be dead.' Vimes peered around. "'Might be dead? Is he still breathing?' "'I do not know, sir.' Willikins applied a match with great care to a stub of candle. "'I heard him gurgling, but he appears to have stopped.' I'm sorry to say that they came upon me when I was leaving the ice store, and I was forced to defend myself with the first thing that came to hand. Which was? The ice knife, sir, said Willikins levelly. He held up eighteen inches of sharp serrated steel designed to slice ice into convenient blocks. The other gentleman I have lodged on a meat hook, sir. You didn't, Vimes began, horrified. Only through his clothing, sir. I'm sorry to have laid hands on you, but I feared the wretched oil might have been inflammable. I hope I got all of them. I would like to take this opportunity to apologise for the mess. But Vimes was gone, and already halfway up the cellar steps. In the hall his heart stopped. A short, dark figure was at the top of the steps and disappearing into the nursery. The broad, stately staircase soared in front of him, a stairway to the top of the sky. He ran up it, hearing himself screaming, I'll kill, I'll kill you, kill you, kill you, kill, 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 I'll kill you, I'll kill, I'll kill you. The terrible fury choked him, the rage and dreadful fear set his lungs on fire, and still the stairs unrolled. There was no end to them. They climbed forever while he was falling backwards into hell. But hell buoyed him up, gave wings to his rage, lifted him, sent him back. And then, his breath now nothing more than one long, profane scream, he reached the top step. The dwarf came out of the nursery doorway, backwards and fast. He hit the railings and crashed through them onto the floor below. Vimes ran on, sliding on the polished wood, skidding as he swung into the nursery, dreading the sight of... Young Sam sleeping peacefully. On the wall, the little lamb rocked the night away.
Sam Vimes picked up his son, wrapped in his blue blanket, and sagged to his knees. He hadn't drawn breath all the way up the stairs, and now his body cashed its checks, sucking in air and redemption in huge, racking sobs. Tears boiled out of him, shaking him wretchedly. Through the running, wet blur, he saw something on the floor. There, on the rug, was the rag ball, the hoop, and the woolly snake, lying where they'd fallen. The ball had rolled, more or less, into the middle of the hoop. The snake lay half-uncoiled, its head resting on the edge of the hoop. Together, in this weak nursery light, they looked at first glance like a big eye with a tail. Sir, is everything all right? Vimes looked up and focused on the red face of Willikins, out of breath. Uh, yeah, what? Yeah, uh, fine, thanks, he managed, summoning his scattered senses. Fine, Willikins, thank you. Uh, one must have got past me in the dark. Huh? Yeah, very remiss of you, then, said Vimes, getting to his feet, but still clutching his son to him. I'd just bet most butlers round here would have taken out all three with one swipe of their polishing cloth, right? Are you all right, sir, because... But you went to the Shamlegger School of Butlering, Vimes giggled. His knees were trembling. Part of him knew what this was all about. After the terror came that drunken feeling, when you were still alive and suddenly everything was funny. I mean, other butlers just know how to cut people dead with a look, but you, Willikins, you know how to cut them dead with... Listen, sir, he's gone outside, sir, said Willikins urgently. So is Lady Sybil. Vimes's grin froze. Shall I take the young man, sir? Willikins said, reaching. Vimes backed away. A troll with a crowbar and a tub of grease would not have wrested his son from him. No, but give me that knife, and go and make sure purity is all right. Clutching young Sam to him, he ran back downstairs, across the hall, and out into the garden. It was stupid, stupid, stupid. He told himself that later. But right now, Sam Vimes was thinking only in primary colours. It had been hard, hard to go into the nursery in the face of the images that thronged his imagination. He was not going to go through that ever again and the rage flowed back easily under control now. Smooth like a river of fire, he'd find them all, all of them, and they would burn. The main dragon shed could only be reached now by dodging around three big cast-iron flame deflector shields, put in place two months ago. Dragon breeding was not a hobby for sissies or people who minded having to repaint the whole side of the house occasionally. There were big iron doors at either end. Vimes headed toward one at random, ran into the dragon shed, and bolted the door behind him. It was always warm in there because the dragons burped all the time. It was that, or explode, which occasionally did happen. And there was Sybil, in full dragon-keeping gear, walking calmly between the pens with a bucket in each hand, and behind her the doors at the other end were opening, and there was a short, dark figure, and there was a rod with a little pilot flame on the end, and— "'Look out! Behind you!' Vimes yelled. His wife stared at him, turned around, dropped the buckets, and started to shout something. And then the flame blossomed. It hit Sybil in the chest, splashed across the pens, and went out abruptly. The dwarf looked down and began to thump the pipe desperately. The pillar of flame that was Lady Sybil said, in an authoritative voice that brooked no disobeying, "'Lie down, Sam, right now!' and Sybil dropped the sandy floor as, all down the lines of pens, dragon heads rose on long dragon necks. Their nostrils were flaring. They were breathing in. They'd been challenged. They'd been offended. And they'd just had their supper. "'Good boys!' said Sybil from the floor. Twenty-six streams of answering dragonfire rose to the occasion. Vimes, lying on the floor so that his body shielded young Sam, felt the hairs crisp on the back of his neck. This wasn't the smoky red of the dwarf fire. This was something only a dragon's stomach could cook up. The flames were practically invisible. At least one of them must have hit the dwarf's weapon, because there was an explosion and something went through the roof. The dragon pens were built like a firework factory. The walls were very thick, and the roof was as thin as possible to provide a faster exit to heaven. When the noise had died to an excited hiccuping, Vimes risked looking up. Sybil was also getting to her feet, a little clumsily, because of all the special clothing every dragon breeder wore. That is to say, every dragon breeder not currently occupying a small artistic urn. The iron of the far doors glowed around the black outline of a dwarf. A little way in front of them, two iron boots were cooling from the white heat in a puddle of molten sand. Metal went plink. Lady Sybil reached up with heavy-gloved hands, patted out some patches of burning oil on her leather apron, and lifted off her helmet. It landed on the sand with a thud. "'Oh, Sam,' she said softly. 
Are you all right? Young Sam is fine. We've got to get out of here. Oh, Sam. Sibyl, I need you to take him, Vimes said, speaking slowly and clearly to get through the shock. There could be others out there. Lady Sibyl's eyes focused. Give him to me, she ordered, and you take Raja. Vimes looked where she was indicating. A young dragon with floppy ears and an expression of mildly concussed good humour blinked at him. He was a golden wouter, a breed with a flame so strong that one of them had once been used by thieves to melt their way into a bank vault. Vimes picked him up carefully and still winced. He gods the ache in his hand had gone all the way to the elbow. Curl him up, Sybil commanded. Good old Sybil, he told himself as he fed anthracite into Raja's eager gullet. Her female forebears had valiantly backed up their husbands as distant embassies were besieged, had given birth on a camelback or in the shade of a stricken elephant, had handed round little gold-wrapped chocolates while trolls were trying to break into the compound, or had merely stayed at home and nursed such bits of husbands and sons that made it back from endless little wars. The result was a species of woman who, when duty called, turned into solid steel. Vimes flinched as Raja burped. "'That was a dwarf, wasn't it?' said Sybil, cradling young Sam. "'One of those deep-down ones you see about?' "'Yes.' "'Why did it try to kill me?' "'When people are trying to kill you, it means you're doing something right. It was a rule Sam had lived by. But this, even a real stone-killer like Chrysophrase, wouldn't have tried something like this. It was insane. They will burn. They will burn. I think they're frightened of what I'm going to find out.' said Vimes. I think it's all gone wrong for them, and they want to stop me. Could they have been that stupid, he wondered? A dead wife, a dead child, could they think that would mean for one moment that I'd stop? As it is, when I catch up with whoever ordered this, and I will, I hope there's someone there to hold me back. They will burn for what they did. Oh, Sam, murmured Sybil, the iron mast falling for a moment. I'm sorry. I never expected this, said Vimes. He put the dragon down and held her carefully, almost fearfully. The rage had been so strong. He felt he might grow spikes or snap into shards, and the headache was coming back, like a lump of lead nailed just over his eyes. Whatever happened to all that, you know, hi-ho, hi-ho, and being kind to poor lost orphans in the forest, Sam? Sybil whispered. Willikins is in the house, he said. Purity is as well. Let's go and find them, then, said Sybil. She grinned a little damply. I wish you wouldn't bring your work home with you, Sam. This time it followed me, said Vimes grimly, but I intend to tidy it up, believe me. They shall b— No. They shall be hunted down to any hole they hide in and brought back to face justice, unless, oh, please, they resist arrest. Purity was standing in the hall alongside Willikins. She was holding a trophy Clatchian sword without much conviction. The butler had augmented his weaponry with a couple of meat cleavers, which he hefted with a certain worrying expertise. "'By God's man, you're covered in blood!' Sybil burst out. "'Yes, your ladyship,' said Willikins smoothly. "'May I say in mitigation that it is not, in fact, mine?' "'There was a dwarf in the dragon house,' said Vimes. "'Any sign of any others?' "'No, sir. The ones in the cellar had an apparatus for projecting fire, sir. "'The dwarf we saw had one, too,' said Vimes, adding, "'It didn't do him any good.' Indeed, sir. I apprised myself of its use, sir, and tested my understanding by firing it down the tunnel they had arrived by, until it ran out of igniferous juice, sir, just in case there were more. It is for this reason, I suspect, that the shrubbery at number five is on fire. Vimes hadn't met Willikins when they were both young. The Cockbill Street's roaring lads had a treaty with Shamlegger Street— thus allowing them to ignore that flank while they concentrated on stopping the territorial aggression of the Pigsty Hill dead marmoset gang. He was glad he hadn't fetched up against young Willikins. They must have come up for air there, he said. The Jeffersons are on holiday. Well, if they're not ready for that sort of thing, they shouldn't be growing rhododendrons, said Sybil, matter-of-factly. What now, Sam? We're staying the night at Pseudopolis Yard, said Vimes. Don't argue. Ramkins have never run away from anything, Sybil declared. Vimeses have run like hell all the time, said Vimes, too diplomatic to mention the aforesaid ancestors who came home in pieces. That means you fight where you want to fight. We're all going to go and get the coach, and we're all going down to the yard. When we're there, I'll send people back to pick up our stuff. Just for one night, all right? What would you like me to do with the visitors, sir? Uh, said Willikins, with a sidelong glance at Lady Sybil. One is indeed dead, I'm afraid. 
If you recall, I must have stabbed him with the ice knife I happened to be innocently holding, having been cutting ice for the kitchen, he added, poker-faced. Put him on the roof of the coach, said Vimes. The other one also appears to be dead, sir. I'd swear he was fine when I tied him up, sir, because he was cursing me in their lingo. You didn't time up too hard, did— Vimes began, and gave up on it. If Willikins wanted someone dead, he wouldn't have taken a prisoner. It must have been a surprise, breaking into a cellar and meeting something like Willikins. Anyway, to hell with them. Just died, he said. Yes, sir. Do dwarfs naturally salivate green? What? There is green around his mouth, sir. Could be a clue, in my opinion. All right. Put him on the roof of the coach, too. Let's go, shall we? Vimes had to insist that Sybil travelled on the inside. Usually she got her own way, and he was happy to give it to her, but the unspoken agreement was that when he really insisted, she listened. It's a married couple thing. Vimes rode beside Willikins and got him to stop halfway down the hill where a man was selling the evening edition of the Times, still damp from the press. The picture on the front page was of a mob of dwarfs. They were pulling open one of the mine's big round metal doors. It was hanging off its hinges. In the middle of the group, hands gripping the edge of the frame and muscles bulging, was Captain Carrot, gleaming with his shirt off. Vimes grunted happily, folded up the paper, and lit a cheroot. The shaking in his legs was barely noticeable now, the fires of that terrible rage banked but still glowing. "'A free press, Willikins. You just can't beat it,' he said. "'I've often heard you remark as much, sir,' said Willikins. The entity slithered through the rainy streets, confounded again. It was getting through, it knew it. It was being heard, and yet every time it tried to follow the words it was thrown back. Bars had blocked its way. Doors that had been opened locked themselves as it approached. And what was this, some kind of low-class soldier? By now it would have had berserkers biting their shields in half. That was not the main problem, though. It was being watched, and that had never happened before. There was a crowd of dwarfs milling around outside the yard. They did not look belligerent, that is to say, any more than a species, the members of which, by custom and practice, wear a big heavy helmet, mail, iron boots, and carry an axe all the time can fail to look belligerent, but they did look lost and bewildered and unsure why they were there. Vimes got Willikins to drive in through the coach arch and take the bodies of the attackers down to Igor, who knew about things like people dying with green mouths. Sybil, Purity, and young Sam were hustled away to a clean office. Interesting thing, Vimes thought, as he watched Cheery and a group of dwarf officers fuss over the child. Even now, in fact, especially now, given the way the tension had made everyone revert to old certainties, he wasn't sure how many female dwarf officers he had. It was a brave female dwarf who advertised the fact, in a society where the wearing of even a decent floor-length leather and chainmail dress instead of leggings positioned you on the moral map on the far side of Tawny and her hard-working co-workers at the Pussycat Club. But introduce a gurgling kid into the room, and you could spot them instantly for all their fearsome clang and beards you could lose a rat in. Carrot pushed his way through the crowd and saluted. A lot's been happening, sir. My word, has it? said Vimes with manic brightness. Yes, sir. Everyone was pretty... Angry when we brought the dead dwarfs up, and what with one thing and another, opening the big door in Treacle Street was pretty popular. All the deep downers have gone except one. That'd be Helm Clever, said Vimes, heading for his office. Carrot looked surprised. That's right, sir. He's in a cell. I'd like you to have a look at him if you don't mind. He was crying and moaning and trembling in a corner, with lit candles all round him. More candles? Afraid of the dark? Vimes suggested. Could be, sir. Igor says the trouble's in his head. Don't let Igor try to give him a new one, said Vimes quickly. I'll go down there as soon as I can. I tried talking to him, but he just looks blank, sir. How did you know he was the one we found? I've got some edges, and some bits that are an interesting shape, said Vimes, sitting down at his desk. When Carrot looked blank, he went on, Of the jigsaw puzzle, Captain. But there are lots of bits of sky. However, I think I might be nearly there, because I think I've been handed a corner. What talks underground? Sir? You know, the dwarfs were listening for something underground. You wondered if someone was trapped, right? But is there, I don't know, something dwarf-made that talks? Carrot's brow wrinkled. You're not talking about a cube, are you, sir? I don't know. Am I? You tell me. The deep downers have some in their minds, sir, but I'm sure there's none buried here. 
They're generally found in hard rocks. Anyway, you wouldn't listen for one. I've never heard of them talking when they're found. Some dwarfs have spent years learning how to use just one of them. Good. Now, what is a cube?'